How many of us are ready for God's Word? Are you ready? Yes, third service, my favorite service. We've been in the middle of a message on David, on David. Now, David is a spectacular character. I mean, you can't help but cheer for him. You can't help but be inspired by him, and you can't help but want to be him. Isn't that awesome? And I love it because I think God intended it that way. God intended this character of David to inspire you. And I think God just smiles when we study David because he knows how special David was. And he's meant to inspire hope in us, faith in us, a love for God in us so that we too could say, you know what? He's kind of like that guy who sings and he wins Grammys. But when you listen to him, you go, I could do that. I could do that. And, 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 you know, you know, the, those people I'm talking about, like, how does he get, he's, there's nothing special, but yet, and that's what David's meant to do. He's meant to draw us in and make us feel like we can do that. After all, you are a David. David was anointed and chosen by God. You were a chosen by God and you've been anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. God had a special plan for David's life. God has a special plan for your life. Now I want to share with you that David is the second most popular or most emphasized, most talked about character in God's word, second to Jesus only. Now, of course, it's going to be about Jesus because even David pointed to Jesus. But after David, after David was Abraham and tied with Abraham was Joseph, Abraham's grandson, or uh, I should say great-grandson. Okay. And then after, and, and, and just to give you some context, Abraham had 14 chapters. He was mentioned in both the Old and New Testament. So was Joseph. Elijah was after them and he had 10 chapters. And he's mentioned in both the Old and New Testament. But David had 66 chapters dedicated to chronicling his life and to showing us those special qualities that we love. And so 66 chapters. That's one chapter for every book of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Now, I'm not saying he's spread out throughout the Bible, but he has 66 chapters. Over almost 60 verses in the New Testament where his name is mentioned. Isn't that amazing? So David is an important character, again, because because he's God's way of inspiring us. Now, we're going to cover, we're going to cover uh, the first five chapters, first five chapters of Second Samuel. So we've just finished First Samuel. We'll kind of get, we'll go through the last chapter of First Samuel into the first five chapters. And I want to remind you that those five, first five chapters, I want to I share with you ahead of time, I should say, kind of highlight for you what those first five chapters are about. So stay with me on this. Chapter one, live by the truth. We're going to see how David held hard to the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so I want to highlight a couple of things for you. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. No wonder he says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? From hell. Set you free to live in abundance, in fullness of life. You will know the Son. You will know his way. And as you know his way, you'll understand that it's the truth, and it's that truth that brings freedom inside of you so that you might walk in real life and someday walk from this life into eternity hand in hand with your king. That's what this is all about. And so that first chapter really highlights how truth is important. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to highlight it with the point, don't lie. Number two, chapter two, be patient. Be patient and humble. Don't be hasty and proud. Don't be hasty and proud. Chapter three, we see Abner, this, this general that was on Saul's team, he's going to switch sides in a really, really unusual way. And then we're going to see how this sparks a heart of revenge in one of David's commanders. Chapter four, we're going to see how two men think they can do worldly things and gain influence in a godly kingdom. So we're going to say, don't keep it, don't get it twisted. And then lastly, have faith. 
have faith. So number one, don't lie. So we'll start with chapter one of 2 Samuel. Don't lie. Now I want you to pay attention and, and, and to, to really, really get in there with me as we read God's word because God's word is gonna really unfold just how dangerous lies are. But before we go there, I want to give you some context of how we got here. Okay, how did we get here? So David is at Ziklag. It's a town that was given to him by the Philistine commander, Achish. Now, what was a Philistine giving David when David was the enemy's enemy of the Philistines? Okay, this is what happens. David is anointed but he hasn't quite been appointed. Saul has been rejected, but he still fills the position. He was the first king. David is waiting for Saul to be removed by the hand of God and then for him to be installed. While he's waiting, Saul is trying to kill him. So he chases him all over the place. Finally, he says, I I cannot live this way. I'm going to go to the land of my enemies, the Philistines. Sometimes your enemies respect you more than your family. Isn't that true? Well, they had such respect for David that that Achish said, you can fight with us. And so David was fighting with them. And then finally, David said, I proved my loyalty. Will you give me a place I can can build a home until God... Uh, uh, installs me as king. So he gave him the town of Ziklag for him and his men of of 600, their wives and their children. He was at Ziklag. Okay, now watch. The Philistines are going out to war against Saul. Now it's getting really close to home because David is marching with the Philistines and they're about to fight his own countrymen. I'm bringing you up to speed. You with me so far? So David is marching, the Bible tells us, at the back of all the ranks. Achish, his friend, is like, man, I'm so glad David is with us and not against us. Meanwhile, the other kings and leaders of the Philistine army turn to Achish and say, hey, man, your boy, your boy David, we don't trust him as far as we can throw him. He says he's with us, but as soon as we get out against his countrymen, you know what family does. They can always say they hate each other, but just... Ever, anyone have brothers here? I can remember my brothers and I, we would be arguing and fighting against each other. And then someone would come in and get involved. And all of a sudden, we'd stop fighting each other and start fighting them. And that's exactly what they were afraid David would do. Yeah, they're upset with one another, but let the fight begin. And David's going to turn and side with Israel. Pretty smart. So they said, send David back to to Ziklag. He goes back to Ziklag. When he gets to Ziklag, took him three days to get back. The fire was going where the Amalekites, another evil clan, had raided his town, taken all their women and children, destroyed it to nothing. He falls to his knees. He starts to cry out to God. Meanwhile, his men are so distraught, they even think about stoning him. Can you imagine the pressure? We preached on this already. I'm just catching you up. God says, go get your family. I'm going to give them back to you. He goes and destroys the Amalekites. He's bringing back his family. He's been at, and in Ziklag for three days. While he's doing this with the Amalekites in Ziklag, the Philistines are still facing Saul. Saul becomes fearful And he cries out to God, but can't get a hold of God. You ever cry out to God and can't get a hold of him? Come on, be honest. Can you, you ever cried out to God and can't get a hold of him? Check how you're living. Check what you've been doing. Check if there's some unforgiveness in your life, some, some things you've got to get straight because he's calling out to God and he's like, Lord, you won't answer. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? And he won't answer. So he gets desperate and goes and encounters a witch. Are you kidding me? 
Well, God didn't answer, so I did the next best thing. No, you don't. You stay kneeled. You stay on your knees. You stay humble. You wait as long as it takes, and you don't get up until God decides it's time to get up. Amen? What you don't do is you go and break God's law because you didn't get a hold of God, so somehow it's God's fault? He conjures up the spirit of the old prophet Samuel. Samuel comes to him and says, hey, you know, you got all these questions. Don't worry. Tomorrow you're going to be here with me. (laughs) You're done. God's bringing you home. They're in the fight. He gets wounded. He's running for his life. He gets to a, a place of of peace for a moment and he turns to his armor bearer and he says kill me kill me you're you're my trusted right hand man kill me because i'm wounded i'm gonna get captured they're gonna torture me and humiliate me and do who knows what to me i cannot bear it kill me he says i won't touch the lord's anointed so he falls on his own sword that's what first samuel end of first samuel says the armor bearer follows suit now David is at Ziklag, remember? Because they sent him home. He sees Ziklag destroyed, falls on his knees, goes and gets his family. He's been there for three days, kind of putting things back together since they burned it all down. He sees a young man approaching and he looks distraught. So David begins to ask, where are you coming from? From the battle. He goes, what are you doing? give Give me news. Remember, he has a friend on the Philistine side and he has his countrymen on the other side. What's going on? And this is what the the young man says. How do you know uh, that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance, listen to the words, by chance, he's already covering himself. By chance, I just happened to, probably a lie, but let's keep going. By chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilead where they were fighting. (laughs) And Saul was leaning on his spear. Indeed, the chariots and the horsemen followed after him. Now, when he looked behind him, he saw me and he called out to me and I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered, I am an Amalekite. And he said it again, please stand over me. He said to me again, please stand over me for anguish has come upon me, but my life is still remains in me. That means I'm not dead. So I stood over him and I killed him. Now imagine you're bringing this news to the, to the anointed king about his, the, the king who is chasing to kill him. And he's been waiting for him to die so that he could step into that position. Now you come and you say, it was bad. It was, I happened to be there. It just, it just so happened I was at the right place at the right time. And he needed help. And so I killed him. I killed him. He was almost dead. And really, I didn't hardly do anything. He was, he was going to die anyway. I just put him out of his misery. Why is he backing up? Watch, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen and he was begging for me to die. And so I brought you here. I brought you this. I brought you his bracelets to show he was king and his. How many of you smell a rat? Come on, live this with me. The Bible just told us that Saul killed himself. Now, you don't want to know what he happened. I just, it, what, what had happened was I just, I saw they were fighting. And when it kind of calmed down, I went over there to see what I could scavenge. And I looked down and there was the king. And I thought, I wonder where I could pawn this. But how are you going to pawn the king's crown and the king's armbands? You don't pawn that. 
You can't just hawk that. You can't just trade that. You can't just sell that because it might come back to you. How did you get this? So, oh man, I got to come up with a story. You know what I'll do? I'll go and tell David because David has the most to gain from his death. And if he thinks that I had something to do with it, then maybe then I'll be... I'll position myself just right. So this is not just a lie. It's a premeditated lie because listen to me, listen to me very closely. The world thinks that working in worldly ways will work in the kingdom of God, but it doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. You want to know what's important to David? Read it with me in first Psalms. I mean, not, excuse me, not first Psalms, Psalms 119 uh, verse one. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. What does it mean to be undefiled, to be righteous, to be perfect? And when you walk in this way, meticulously caring about the way you act and the way you live and the way you conduct yourself, that's important to God. That's what David's saying. Watch. Who walk in the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? Oh, but but the law is not important. It's all about grace. And yet Jesus said, none of this Bible shall be done away with, but I've come to fulfill it all and every part of it is worth considering. So watch, 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 watch. Stay with me. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies with their whole heart. What are his testimonies? Watch this. They walk in his ways. His, they keep the precepts diligently. They direct and keep their, his statutes. They respect all of his commandments. Keep going. Verse 7. Uprightness of heart. They've learned the righteous judgments. Watch this. Keep thy statues, verse 8. Keep going. Taking heed thereto according to thy word. I heed this word. What does it mean to heed a word? I pay attention to it. Watch this. I don't wander from your commandments. Now, verse 11, the, 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 the best one of them all, the one we remember. Thy word I've hidden in thy heart. In my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Oh, it's about this word. So you know what David says? He asks this young man that came to him a very important question. Watch what he asks. He asks, where are you from? Don't you wish you could have been there? So he's telling this lie, right? That he's premeditated, he's rehearsed, and he thinks it's going to help him with this king. Why? Because he's a worldly guy coming to a, a godly king, thinking that that stuff that he peddles out there is going to work over here. Come on, somebody hear me on this. Somebody hear me on this. I wonder when he figured out that David wasn't buying what he was selling. I wonder when he said, I killed him if he saw something in David's face. Can I tell you, when you lie, they can tell. He said, but, but they don't know that for sure. No, they can tell. You know why they can tell? Because your insecurity shows it. Listen to me. One of the worst things you can do in your life is lie. Because it fragments you from you. What do I mean? It splits you. It makes you double-minded. Being integrated, being whole, is to stand on truth and to be able to stand on confidence, on faith. They may not like it. They may not agree with it. It may not go good for me. But in the end, I know who I am and I know who has redeemed me. And I stand not just on myself, but I stand on God, my firm foundation. And he's who gives me strength. But when I lie, I am like what? A double-minded man that wants to tell the truth, but I don't tell the truth. And then I have so many different fragments of myself and different parts of myself that I'm being tossed to and fro. This is what the Bible says in the book of James. He who lies is double-minded. 
And he is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro, not knowing how to stand. Why? Because you're standing on your own. And as you stand on your own, you're actually separating yourself more and more from God because God and lies cannot be together. Instead, Jesus says, come, experience the truth, and the truth will set you free. Find a good way for your feet, that it might be a good path and a good foundation that you can build something solid in your life. Come on now. Come on. Now watch, 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 watch. So I don't know when it happened, but David says, who are you? Why is that so important? Go with me to God's word. This is what David understood. In God's word, the Bible literally says, 1 Samuel 15, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are consumed. What does it mean to consume an entire group of people? That means kill every single one of them. I know this is hard for us, but I'm going to tell you, is there one person that could, could issue a judgment like that on the earth? No. He would have to be absolutely perfect to issue a judgment like that. And he would have to know every part of their heart. Who is that? God. And so when God issues a judgment like that, you can rest assured it's actually in mercy. Because when God judges someone and brings them home, it's because he already knows. You're not changing. I've given you ample opportunity. I gave you space and time to walk out your faith. And now you're just storing up more wrath, more judgment. And so the best thing I can do is say, let's take you out of the game before you mess up anymore. And so God is taking the Amalekites out of the game, and David knows this. So he says, where are you from? And you're lying to me? And you, watch, Exodus 17 says something similar, Deuteronomy 25. I'm just going to put them up there real quick, because we got to go, watch this. Blot out the remembrance of who? All the Amalekites. Why? Because they were so evil, even when Israel was not a threat to anyone. They were coming out as slaves with nothing. They attacked them, and they didn't attack them from the front. They attacked them from the back and killed old ladies, the crippled, the the most desperate. That's what God is saying right there. He says, so I've seen their heart. Wipe them out. You think David knows the law? This is part of the law. It's Deuteronomy. You think David knows the law? He says, I have hidden your law in my heart. Now you're coming lying to me. Oh my goodness. Come on now. Come on. Anybody hearing this going, wow. David says, kill this guy. He put his hands against the Lord's anointed. He thought that would, that would speak to me. It doesn't speak to me. So watch this. What was this guy's only hope to tell the truth? I didn't kill him, but I came upon them. I saw them and I thought I will return them to you, the rightful king. I have heard that God has anointed you and in humility I come and I worship not you, but your king because David understood something. Listen to me. David understood he was a king, not the king. And the Bible says clearly that you might be an alien, but you can find refuge in the house of God. And so if he had come to the house of God, just like any one of us, we're not Jewish, but we've been grafted in. He would have been grafted in. But instead, he chose to lie to the king, and this is what happens. Do not be hasty or proud. Chapter 2. We're going to go through this one very quickly. What does it mean to be hasty or proud? Well, that's the opposite of being patient and humble. Now notice, in every one of these, David is the opposite. Don't lie. David stands on truth. He stood on God's word. Don't be hasty or proud. David is humble and patient. Do you realize that David was anointed around 14? He doesn't come to, to, to be king. And he's only king of Judah, not all of Israel, just Judah. It takes 15 years. So he's about 30 when he becomes king. Then it takes seven and a half years more to become king of all of Israel. That's 20 plus years to fulfill what God promised him way back when. Do you think it took patience? 
Yes. Can I tell you? Listen, be patient, especially my young people. I've got a lot of young people in the room. What happens here is something, something interesting. Because you have Abner, who is serving Saul's youngest son, who Abner has installed as king. You say, who is Abner? Stay with me. Abner was the guy that was Saul's right-hand man. He was there when David defeated Goliath, and Saul looked over and goes, who is this kid? And Abner goes, I don't know. David says, go find out. He says, I'm on it. He was his right-hand man. Saul is dead. Abner is still around. Abner decides, if David becomes king, what will happen to me? So I need one of Saul's kids to be king. After all, I'm part of the family. Abner was Saul's cousin. So in a way, he's kind of like an uncle to this kid that he puts as king. Abner represents Israel and Ishbotheth against David and Joab. Joab was one of David's mighty men. We covered this last time. So Joab and Abner, they end up in a fight. And as Abner decides, I can't win this fight, he takes off. As he takes off, Joab has two brothers. These are all mentioned last time we covered it in 2 Samuel chapter 23, where David lists his mighty men. These are his special forces, elite unit, his Navy SEALs. And these three guys are listed in that list. Watch, this is important. These three guys happen to be David's nephews. Come on. Someone say, oh man, it gets messy when family gets involved. Doesn't it? So, so now Asahel, the youngest of these, is swift as a deer. You'll see it as they put it up here. He's swift. He's fast as a deer. He's young. He takes off after Abner. And Abner's running. He looks back and he says, Asahel, is that you? Why would he know who might be chasing him? Because if you scout your, your opponent, if you scout them and watch any film on them, you know they've got some mighty warriors. In fact, they call them the 30. And then there's the three. Abishai, Abishai is one of the three. Joab is all over that 30. And Asael is the fastest of them all. And there's somebody gaining on me quick. I bet you it's who? Asael. So he goes, is that you? He says, you bet it's me. I'm coming for you, old man. Can you hear the arrogance? Because, because Abner in the story says, hey, man, you should turn aside and take one of these lesser guys. Why are you coming after me? He says, take one of the lesser guys. And I can see that you're not fully armed. Why wouldn't he be fully armed? Think, what is he doing? He's running like a gazelle. So he might have taken off some of his armor to run after him. And he's, he's gaining on him. Abner's saying, dude, you're not even fully armed. Why don't you kill one of these other lesser guys and take his arm armor? Because it's not going to be a fair fight. I want you to think about what's being going on. He tells him this at least twice. Dude, stop chasing me because I'm going to kill you. And it's going to be hard for me to face your older brother, Joab. They all know each other. This is one kingdom. The enemy is trying to divide. Can I tell you, this is what he does in the church. This is what he does in families. This is how the enemy works. And so he's running after him. And I can almost imagine uh, SIL's talk. Come on, old head, let's see what you got. You're too slow. You got to get up in your run. You got this hurt knee. Your bum broken, busted, disgusted. You ain't going to beat me. I'm going to kill you. See, because I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. Ain't nobody as pretty as me, right? I can hear him saying all the crazy stuff we've heard before. And this old guy is saying, listen, son, listen, there ain't nothing that you can throw at me I haven't seen before. Can he say, but, but pastor, I don't. I don't fight. I don't run after people. I'm young, but how does this pertain to me? Sometimes we have that same hasty, prideful attitude towards our mentors. 
What can you teach me? You just want me to go so slow. You always want me to slow everything down, mom and dad. I know more. Look at my life. Look at how things are going. I'm a champion. I'm this. I'm that. The older guy is saying, I may not be as good as I once was, but I'm as good one. He might be saying, I've I've seen it. I've done it. So this is what happens. He waits till he gets close enough with the back end of his spear. What is the back end of a spear? Think about it. Why does the Bible highlight that? It's blunt. So maybe he was trying to what? Mm, Knock the air out of him. But one thing the older man knew, this young kid is running so fast, he's going to regret it. I can see him going, boom, right at the right time, and then dropping it into into the ground. And as he hit him, and he dropped it into the ground, he impaled himself, and it ran all the way through him. Now, let me ask you, Who do you think came and saw that? He had two. This reminds me of a Mexican family. Because these two brothers are never going to let this go. (laughs) Isn't that true? It's like, my name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die, right? You killed my brother, prepared to die. And they swear they're going to get revenge on him. But That leads us to number three. Don't be vengeful. Do you see how David is the opposite? He stands on truth. He's not hasty and proud. He's humble and patient. And he's forgiving, not vengeful. And so so what happens is the brothers chase Abner. They're determined to kill him. And finally, Abner says, hey, we're going to destroy each other completely if you guys don't give this up so he said we'll give it up for now but he's like i'm watching you man i'm gonna catch you around the neighborhood dude come on can you read this with me isn't that what guys do i'm gonna catch you around i'm gonna catch you slipping man and and you watch it's gonna be the right time they're like so they go on What happens next? Abner is accused by Ispathish, that Saul's son that he put as king. He's accused of treachery. But why would he be accused of treachery? Well, maybe it's because the Bible says Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. Maybe it's because he didn't respect this young guy that he made king. Maybe it's because he thought, you don't know squat, you're wet behind the ears, and I'm running this kingdom. And he's strengthening himself to take over, it sounds like. And this young guy, in his insecurity, accuses him of treachery. How? You slept with one of the king's concubines, and you're announcing to the world that you have no respect for the king, and that you want to be king. So this guy gets really angry. And he says, you just called me a dog face. Yeah, that's, that's worse than a monkey butt. I don't know. They're just funny. It's funny to me because their insults don't quite have the ring that ours do. But he goes, you called me a dog face. And because of that, you cannot be forgiven. I mean, he goes irate. Can I tell you? He was probably doing it because nobody gets that irate if he's not guilty. Why wouldn't he reason with the young man? If he really cared for him, he would say what? But this guy was hungry for power. And so he says, you know what? I see now that I made a mistake. I'm going to throw my support behind David. I'm going to make him king. Can I tell you something? He was speaking out of pride and his pride's about to get him in trouble. You're going to see. His pride's about to get him in trouble because who makes, God, who makes David king? God's the only one that can make David king. But he calls David up. He sends messengers over and says, David, I want to throw my support behind you. How can we make this happen? I hear you're a man of your word. Isn't that interesting? He's not a man of his word, but David is. So he goes to David and says, I know you're a man of your word. And if I make a covenant with you, you'll keep it. David says, you heard right. What do you have in mind? I want to to follow the Lord. 
And he even prophesies over David. Do you realize that the Bible includes the prophecy? We'll show it here. He goes, by the hand of my servant David, I, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all of their enemies. He says, I know this is what God said. If you know that is what God said, what were you doing for the last seven years? But now it's convenient. Do you see the nonsense that goes on all around David? Can I ask you, how much nonsense is going around you today in this world? How many lies are told every day on the news? How many crazy things are happening? People positioning and jockeying for power and doing all of these things. And yet David just stays the course. He says, okay, what do you have in mind? He goes, I want to make a truce. I can deliver the noblemen or better yet the elders of Israel, including Benjamin, the tribe of Saul. Saul's tribe was never going to accept you. Why? Because they're part of Saul. But I'm Saul's cousin. I can bring them to you. David says, I don't need your help, but if you want peace, I'm all about peace. So David makes this covenant with him, but he says, I have one. Listen to me. We're going, we're we're about to finish. I have one thing I ask. I need my wife back. Who is his wife? When David was serving Saul, Before Saul turned against him and tried to kill him, Saul gave David one of his wives. Remember, that was a promise that was made when he killed Goliath. Then Saul changed it and said, you still owe me more. David delivered more. He paid the dowry and he was betrothed to Michael, Saul's daughter. When Saul got angry with him, he took his daughter back from David And gave her to another man. Now let me ask you gentlemen. Is that right? Let me ask you ladies. Is that right? Let me ask you another question. What do you think of the man that says. I'll take her. She's pretty. (laughs) Well I can't blame him. Dude have some backbone. Stand on God's word. But the king might kill me. Now, I don't think he'll kill you when he sees the strength in you and says, I will not sin against God. That is David's wife, and I won't have her. Instead of going, I'll take her. So Abner says, we can make this happen. Ishbothish, which is Saul's son, hears, takes David's request and says, you know what? I don't know if he's trying to be right with the Lord or if he's scared of David or what, or maybe he's tired of Mikael, but he says, you can have her back. Sends her on. Come on, anybody excited about this story? Isn't this kind of funny? There's some scandalous stuff happening here. And so she's going back and the Bible says that the guy who said, I'll take her and became her husband for a time, followed her crying. This tells you all you need to know about this guy. He had no strength. I'll break God's word. I'll take her. She's beautiful. Now she's being returned to her rightful husband, and I'm brokenhearted and crying, and I can't even. Are you kidding me? This also gives you a clue later on when Mikael snaps at David and talks down to him that she got used to living and. Do you you see where I'm going? She got used to a bad habit of talking to her man like any old thing because he wasn't a real man. But now she's got a real man again and doesn't know how to talk to him. Uh Uh-oh. You'll see how David deals with it when we get there. But I want to show you some things here. And so... This, uh, this man is following her, and Abner stops him halfway and says, what are you doing? She's going back to, her, to the king. You need to go back home. And she continues on without him. And David takes that, and you go, but, but wait a minute. How is David standing on truth? Well, the Bible says that one, uh, once a man is married to a woman, no man can separate them. Nothing can separate them but God. Well, yes, Pastor, but doesn't the Bible also say that once they divorce, they should not get back together? But in David's eyes, I never divorced her, and she never divorced me. The king, because of his evil, 
gave her away illegally to another man, and I want to be right before the Lord. Therefore, I will reunite with my wife. I will forgive, and she will forgive, and we will put back together what God intended, and by God's law, by God's word, by God's blessing, we will go forward. Come on, that is awesome. This man is like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm setting things right that this king who was previously there had made wrong. Now he's setting it all back right. You say, okay, so all this is taking place. What does it have to do with vengeance? This is what it has to do with vengeance. Abner is sitting there brokering. Man, he's brokering more than golden, uh, uh, than Charles Schwab. He's brokering all these deals. Now watch this. He leaves the palace after making all these deals with David. And Joab shows up. Who's Joab? You killed my brother. Prepare to die. And he's been raiding and, and, and gaining um, spoils for the king. Because David did not have taxation in place. He wasn't the formal king. Therefore, this is the only way he could keep his government going. Joab and his mighty men would go out and raid their enemies and bring back gold and silver. So he brings back gold and silver. David says, good job. And he says, oh, by the way, Abner was here. He says, what? He found out Abner was here. He goes, why why didn't you kill the dirty rat? He killed my brother, remember? He killed your nephew. David said, yeah, you know, I I don't want to argue about that. Based on God's word. He says, no, I don't care about God's word. I don't know if he said that, but you can see it in his actions. What does he do? He leaves David's presence. I can see David saying, Joab, we're cool, right? We're straight. We're good. He sends a message to Abner. The king forgot to tell you something. Meet me at the city gate. Abner shows up at the city gate. He tells his security detail, this is private. I have a special message from the king for Abner. Y'all stay here. Come with me. Puts his arm around him, takes him over away. And as he's talking to him, he goes, kills him. Cold blood. Watch, it's right there. He died for the blood of Asael, his brother. Now you might be thinking, but pastor, 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 how could this be bad? What does God's word say? Why didn't David do this? Why didn't David allow it? Because he understood God's word. And God's word says this. If it's in the heat of battle, if it's in battle and there's a war going on, that's not murder. That's battle. Not only that, Abner was being chased. Does he have a right to defend himself? Absolutely. How many times did he warn the young man? At least two times. You better get off. You better stop. You better turn away. Then he tried to hit him with the butt of his spear, but the young man was coming so fast he died. So at best, it could be manslaughter, and there's provision in God's law for manslaughter. Do you know what that provision is? If it's an accident, unforeseen circumstances, you could flee to a city of what? Refuge. This is kind of like a sanctuary city. (laughs) This is what God set up, a city of refuge. Listen to me. Do you know that one of the cities of refuge is Hebron? Where is he killing him? He's killing him in Hebron. He couldn't be more against God's word. He's a cold-blooded murderer because of revenge. Can I tell you, the Bible says, do not be vengeful. Watch what the Bible says in, in, in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans says, do not repay evil for evil. Do not be vengeful. If at all possible, live in peace. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And that's exactly what David said. David said, he might be an enemy, but I'm here to share peace. I'm here to make peace. I'm here to follow the law of God. Why? Because vengeance will produce the Hatfields and the McCoys, killing after killing after killing. 
It's like a thread that you pull in a sweater. It will unravel the entire country. You kill, he kills your brother. You kill him. One of his family members kills you. One of your family members kills him until the entire tribe. After all, what was Israel if not one big family made up of 12 tribes that were all brothers and sisters at some point? So he says, don't do it. What are you doing? So you say, okay, so what did David do? He cursed judgment over Joab and his entire family. Now, last but not least, don't get it twisted. Chapter four. This one's very, very quick. Don't get it twisted. So here we go again. You got some young guys. They're watching all this take place. It's Rakab and Banana. <laughs> not Banana. 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 They take matters into their own hands. They're Benjamite, Benjamites. Why is that significant? Saul was a Benjamite. This is where Ishbothish is. The, 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 the figurehead king that Abner had put in place. Right? What happens? These two guys decide, we're done with all this. You know what? This is a good opportunity. We know good and well that Ishbothish is always sleeping midday. He's lazy. He's not fit to be king. Let's kill him and go make a name for ourselves with David. They go in there, do just that. They kill him. They escape. They go over to David and say, David, good news, man. We took care of it for you. At what point do you think they realized it wasn't going very well? Do you see how all of these things are taking place? And yet David, what does he do? Can I tell you the secret sauce? People are lying. People are cheating. People are killing each other. People are vengeful. People are murderous. People are doing all these crazy things. And yet David just says what? Watch, it's right there. Did you not know that when somebody told me about Saul and he thought he would come to me at Ziklag and make a name for himself and get a reward? Do you not remember hearing what I did? I wonder if the young men go, oh, like, let's run. He says, no, nah, it's done. It's done. Your evil won't work in this kingdom. So why did I call it? Don't get it twisted. Because I keep seeing this in the Christian in the Christian church. People keep doing evil things and you say, but what is evil? They call good wrong and they call wrong good. They redefine gender roles. They, they do all kinds of crazy nonsense. And they think that that's going to work in the kingdom. But the world does it. What does that have to do with us as Christians? Are you saying that, that they don't deserve? No, everybody deserves to be saved. Hey, I have sin, but I shouldn't excuse my sin. I shouldn't try to redefine the rules just to make it easier for me. No, God's word is to be revered. So this is where it changes. They got it twisted. They thought somehow that these worldly schemes would work in a heavenly kingdom. David says, no. Last, don't doubt. Don't doubt. What does this have to do? You're about to see David step into full glory. I mean, he's going to be installed. He's going to have a capital city. It's going to be called the city of David. All of these things. But he had to wait 20 plus years, hard years where people were telling him all kinds of things. Some of his most trusted advisors were committing vengeful acts, were plotting murder, were lying, cheating, doing all sorts of crazy things. Can I tell you, this world is crazy, but stand firm. Stand firm. God has something special for you. This is where I'll end. Stand firm and understand that if you hold on to God's word, he will promote you in the right time. But pastor, I almost feel like I've been rejected. You haven't been rejected. You've been protected. 
God is giving you time to show your faith, to strengthen your faith, to mature your faith, because faith will lead to hope. And what is hope? It's an absolute certainty that God will do what he said he will do. And once your hope is mature, it will give way to love. And loving God drives out all fear. That's where David is. David is like, I don't fear anyone. Why? Because if God be for me, who can be against me? You want to kill me? Kill me. If God says, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. You can do what you want. You say you're going to give me the kingdom. I'm not going to get it from you. You ended up dead by a vengeful act, but that was evil. God will even use evil to accomplish his good pleasure. You say, is that true? Isn't that what Joseph said when he told his brothers? What you meant for evil, what the enemy meant for evil, what all this that took place to me as you sold me into slavery and all this happened in my life, it was evil, but God used it for good. And David is saying, God will use anything to set me up. I need you to get this deep down in your heart so that when you take communion right now, that you say, Lord, I trust you. I trust your word. I'm willing to stand on it, Lord. It is a firm foundation. It's firm. And I know there's a lot of noise and I know there's a lot of wind and I know there's a lot of nonsense happening, but I don't care about all that. What I care about is honoring you because I need this space and time To walk out and to work out my faith. I know I took long. This is too important. See, some people just want it like that. But faith isn't built like that. Faith requires space and time for situations and circumstances to what? Develop. Doesn't change The circumstances and the situations help David, what? Walk in trust. Anyone can say, I trust you, Lord. No, show me. Show me you trust me, God said. Show me you have. I've already dealt with a king like that. His name was Saul. He talked a big game, but every time it came down to it, he didn't trust me. He would not obey. Because this is the thing, it takes space and time, it takes situations, it takes circumstances. And as you walk out your faith, your hope grows, a certainty that I am faithful. And as your hope grows, it gives way to love. And love, listen to me, is obedience. Isn't that what the New Testament says? The New Testament says in the book of John, you cannot say you love the Lord and not obey Him. You are a liar. And you're lying to yourself. And so David is standing on something. No, no, I've seen a few things. It took me 20-something years, but I've seen my faith mature. I've seen my hope blossom, and I've seen a love relationship develop between me and my king. I know, Lord, no one can take that from me. No one can. Oh, come on. Let me hear a praise in this house. Lord, thank you. Thank you. It hasn't been easy. And there's some young people right now having their faith tested. And I thank you, Lord, because you will see them through. I speak prophetically over them, Lord, and I proclaim that they will, in space and time, face the circumstance and the situation by the power of the living God and by your words. In Jesus' name. We say thank you. I love you, church. Forgive me keeping you a little longer. Have a great week.